Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to Phil's Recap and Review. The Sopranos, Season 1, Episode 3, Denial, Anger, and Acceptance. And take it from me, if I was in Christopher Maltesanti's position at the end of this episode, and my friend Elia took me on a walk somewhere down up here, because I know Elia's listening, Matt, uh, I would probably poop my pants, too. This is a very interesting episode of The Sopranos. It's worth mentioning that this episode was written by a a guy that wrote this episode and directed this episode and another man that directed this episode that never wrote or directed another Sopranos episode. If if we're getting into our favorite episode so far this season, we'll get into that because this is another thing I want to add to our list. But if this is your first time tuning in, please check out the channel. Please subscribe. You can see every time we go live, but most of the time we'll be going live at around this time every week on Wednesday afternoons. And you can also jump in the chat room if you're with us live and share your thoughts of this episode of The Sopranos or The Sopranos in general. If you have any questions, you can email me at igotissuesman at gmail.com. You can always leave us voicemails or call in at 781-990-8509. And there's also, if we're walking down the street, you can throw shit at me. Be like, hey, I got a question, whatever. But with me today, I'm not alone. Big Daddy Matt has come back three three times in a row now. We haven't scared Matt away, so welcome back, Matt. No, I'm committed at this point. I'm all in. Pot committed? Pot committed for this? Someone I'm pot committed. Someone suggested and asked the question in the comment section this week that you and Joe sounded off a lot alike and thought... I, I saw that. They thought we were brothers or something. So yeah. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. That's <laughs> that, I kind of like thought about that. I'm like, is that good or bad? I don't know if I want to be Joe. But. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. One of these days, we'll get you guys together just to prove that you're not the same person. But, yeah. But I have to say, and I, this is what I wanted to say at the beginning, Matt, uh, We've been through, this is our third episode that we've talked about The Sopranos. We haven't yet got to kind of ranking The Soprano episodes from best to worst. I think we should do that. And I think we should do that for each season individually. And then in, then when we're towards the back half of season six, like after we're all done, do one episode where we just come on and talk about what we think the best episode of The Sopranos is. If I was ranking the episodes, this would probably have been my least favorite of the three. Um, I think the last one, not this one. So episode two was my favorite. I don't know Mine how too. much of that was just because it felt like the Sopranos, mainly because the first one felt so weird having not seen him in years. And it was like, it was out of sorts. I'm like, this doesn't feel like the Sopranos. And the second one, as we talked about last week, just it's the most soprano scene you can possibly have mm-hmm. is the opening of the second episode. So part of it might've just been how good that felt. Um, I don't know. This was in hindsight, like you said, it's weird that it was written by someone who never wrote another one because um, there's a lot of really archetypical, important parts of The Sopranos that you remember forever, though, is from this episode. Yes. And a lot of and a lot of things connect and keep keep coming back, like the hotel situation. keeps coming back throughout the series. Uh, Tony dealing with Christopher and things to do with Christopher keeps coming back. And this is a big first ever. Uh, Tony and Junior's problems really escalate in this episode and set the scene for the rest of the season. I think it's a very important episode. Uh, and I mean, I'll be honest too, as we get into it, some of the me- the personal stuff that deals with Jackie, I can relate to on a personal level. So uh, some of that's kind of tough to visually watch and it's dealing 
resonating very much with Tony having the denial, anger, and acceptance of his best friend dying of cancer and accepting that. That's a big and big part in what what how that changes not just Tony but changes his whole crew and changes the way Tony looks at other people. And and because of that reason, it's a very hard, very heavy episode in some ways, especially coming from the first two, which were a lot more a lot more humorous at times. This episode has those elements, but it also is very I don't think it quite I understand why the director Nick Gomez and the writer Matt Satriasi or something, whatever his name is. I can see again what you were saying, what what we we're talking about. I can see why they weren't necessarily asked back to direct another episode or work in another episode, just because it feels like the feel of the Sopranos was all off a, a little bit for me at times. Yeah, a lot. Some of the scenes with the with the uh, we just got to come up with a term. What are we going to call the Jewish guys? In the this? Hasidic. The, they call them Hasidim, but yeah. Hasidim. So we'll say with the Hasidims. Um, that was a little bit off at different points. Like that was kind of weird, you know, and it's something you always remember about it, but now in hindsight, it seemed kind of like out of place with everything else they do, but. Exactly. That, that it was a friend of Sills and Tony was just doing him a favor. There's a lot of, uh, in going back and especially looking into this episode again, after all these years, it, there's a lot of Godfather elements of this episode. Someone coming to someone with a favor, the end scene with the music and Tony and sort of a, church-ish type place or school watching a choir sing while a, yeah. while a murder is being done in the background in the way that Brendan gets killed. Brendan gets killed at the end of the episode as well as reminiscent from the final scene of of uh, Godfather 1 when Mo Green gets, spoiler alert, when Mo Green gets shot in the head, uh, gets shot in the eye by by one of Michael's men. It, it's It's very much... Like, like the writer was, oh, we're doing a mafia thing. Oh, let's do this, this, this. Right, right, right. In a few few places. Oh, Ren Renwood's joining us. How is everyone doing today? It's a balmy 78 degrees with 85 humanity in deep east Texas. So, yes, I have the air on. And, Tim, if you're listening, I am wearing pants. How's everyone doing today? I'm grooving to Santavio by Molo in the background. And life is sweet. Awesome. So, so excited. Thank you for joining us, Ren. And it sounds beautiful down there. The Today was a pretty decent day up in the Boston area. And yesterday was too in the 60s. And yesterday even reached the 70s. So it hasn't quite bit us in the ass yet for winter. We'll, we'll be talking to you from the middle. Of yeah, the- we had snow by Halloween like two or three years ago. There was We had a snowstorm already. So yeah. we're not complaining about this at all up here. Exactly. So yes, this was the early trial and error period of the series. It's one of the few, if not the only one, we'll have to look at that, of the 86 soprano episodes in which the writer and the director were only one-time contributors this is uh that that is ne- neither man ever worked on the show again but they went on to direct many other tv shows in their career but it is the only time that these two ever worked on the show so it's worth mentioning that whatever something that they did made david chase go i don't want these people back i don't i can't put my finger on it exactly what it is and maybe we'll get to it through this episode but Again, if I was personally ranking the episodes going back and even even though the pilot was is a little weird to watch, I still think I like the way it flows better and I think it's just a funnier episode in general. This episode again, you you had to do a lot of the things you did in this episode. You don't have a lot of Livia in here. Livia's only in that one scene and Livia is very different in this episode too. She's very controlling very non-daffy, very direct about her being in charge of Corrado. Yeah, this goes, but you asked me, I think it was last week, if I thought Livia was faking any of this. And then 
you know, how much of this is her purposely acting like she doesn't know what's going on. And here you get a totally different feel to it. You know, but again, we'll get into that when we get to it. But that conversation between her and Junior at the end where, you know, she finishes by saying, no, I'm just like a whatever is like a babbling old lady or something like that. That's why my son put me in a home. So it's, it's really interesting to see how they used, how these people chose to write Livia and how Livia played it up in this scene, really controlling. And it's, it's just fun to watch. Okay. So before we get into our recap here, this is also the first appearance of one of Matt's dogs in this episode, Rosalia Prio (laughs) first appearance, which one of Matt's puppy dogs is named Rosalie after the character. Four people, four people get the reference (laughs) Rosalia Prio and like everyone else just thinks we're weird. They're like, Oh, that's a weird name for a dog. I've actually been with you where you're like, that's the name of the dog. Someone's like, that's a weird name. You're like, yeah, very weird. Yeah. Uh, and that's the acti- the wife of acting boss Jackie, and she we get she gets her first line and her first appearance in the episode. She doesn't make a real big uh, splash onto the scene till much later in the series, but there is a funny moment where she slaps the shit out of Mikey, and I like that. Ro- Rosalie's one of, if not my favorite, of the women on the show of The Sopranos. I think she's just a really strong character and really in control of her own destiny in a lot of ways and some in many ways that someone like Carmela isn't necessarily that being said you're gonna hear me do something in this episode Matt you think I'm hard on her I'm gonna be very I'm gonna take Carmela's side le- later on mm-hmm. oh see I thought it was gonna be the exact opposite because you talk so much shit about Carmela and I'm like defending her and then here she is like all the stuff with her and you know the Bucos is ridiculous in this one here. You know, the famous, I mean, what is more archetypical yeah. than this? Yes, her yes. making that symbol when she calls her over to her. It's ridiculous. All right. I just want to say one thing. We either have to talk about it now or at the end, but this here is, there is no AJ in this episode yep. at all. Absolutely. No AJ. And it's amazing. That's the last time I think that that happens, at least that I remember. But oh, that was incredible to not have to see him once for an entire episode. So I'm th- I'm I'm reading through the lines, and we'll we'll keep track of this at the end. We'll actually write this down. But from what from what I'm saying is, I think you're a little higher on this episode than me. That you probably enjoyed this one a bit more than you enjoyed the pilot, and last week's was your favorite so far. Yeah, last week's I liked a lot. Okay, so we'll we'll get more into that at the end, but uh, this episode is our first of Rosalia Prio, our first we meet of Hillel uh, Titleman, who who we do see, I think, again at a later point in time. It's also the death of Brendan Filoni. Uh, Brendan Filoni is his last episode, and uh, and I say right when I started to think his character was a little interesting, they they killed him. But I like how they killed him, and I like what it does to Christopher. So the connection to future episodes, uh, Tony is a at the end. Tony ends up being part of the Titleman Hotel, and the hotel seen many many times, and seeing that once Tony takes over it, and we'll see that throughout the series, it kind of turns more into like a prostitution place. And uh, there's a funny scene coming up way later that we'll make our put a little note here with Furio way later on. That's pretty hilarious in this place. So, uh, so she suck your dick, then you then stop bitching to me. Chris also tells Meadow, and we get the whole Chris selling drugs thing to Meadow, and the Meadow yeah. and Chris relationship developing a bit more from something we mentioned last week that they actually uh, have a bit more of a relationship in the first season than they do at any other point in time. So let's get into our episode recap. The episode begins where we hear a, a truck horn uh, 
<laughs> beeping. I couldn't think of the word beeping for some reason. Christopher and Filoni are delivering the Italian suits back from Junior that they stole. Christopher notes to Filoni that, hey, we could have just ring the doorbell. So two men come out and ask them what they're doing. Christopher tells them they found the truck on the side of the road with some transmission problems, some kids, and they decided to bring it to them. The men are not, the men aren't taking it. They're like, wait a minute, that's the truck that was stolen. Those men killed, uh, killed what's-his-face. So Christopher pulls out his gun, fires two shots in the air, and he tells them that the truck is a gift from Tony Soprano. And then they both flee the scene, and they and they end up doing some coke in the car, complaining about what they have to do. And we get... It's crystal meth. It's not coke. Okay, crystal meth. They're doing some crystal in the car. And Tony... And it's an interesting parallel just to be t with the previews for next week, where they really played up the Christopher saying... Uncle Junior's really pissed at you, to, pissed, or has been really putting the screws to Tony, or whatever exactly the line is. And it's just setting the scene that they've had to deal with a lot of shit between then and now, and Junior is really pissed off about all of this. What This is something that bothered me the first time I saw it, but it doesn't bother me now because I understand. I always wondered why Christopher said, uh, this is a gift from Tony Soprano, why he felt like he needed to use Tony's name. And I guess because Connolly is on the take anyway, but at first I was like, why is he using Tony's name? It, it, I guess it makes sense that he's try he's actually saying it as this is a gift from Tony to you guys. And it comes by right. comes back to bite Tony in the ass, the fact that he says that though, because the guys think that they're only getting the truck back because of Tony. He should have really said it's a gift from Junior Soprano. So in the car, Filoni's still angry that they had to return the biggest score of this year. Christopher tells Filoni that Junior's been breaking balls. Tony says uh, the truck's been uh, high since the truck's been hijacked. Christopher states that Filoni's lucky, uh, lucky to still be alive. Tony was gonna rip his ass up. So then we get paralleled to the Chris and. Chris scene, Chris and Filoni scene to Junior and Mikey meeting at a restaurant. Junior's asking uh, what happened here, and he informs him that Connolly Trucking wants to thank Tony Soprano and just just wants to give Tony a big thank you. That some of the suits were missing, but no big deal, no harm done. I guess they didn't mind that the guy died after all, but thank. Well, no, and I don't know. We don't know if Conley knows that it was Tony's guys that did it or not. They probably don't. As far as Conley may know. Um, you know, Tony Soprano went and got this truck from whatever criminal element uh, had actually hijacked it. You know, we don't know that they even we don't know that Conley knows that it was that it was Brandon who had done it. Exactly. You know, not, right. So we have no idea. So they may, he may just think that Tony's the hero in this situation. And do you think. Do you think Junior has a right to be as pissed off about everything he does? I know Mikey fuels the flame a little bit here. It, and maybe if he had a different second in command, it wouldn't have gone as poorly. But do you think Junior has a right in everything to be as pissed off as he is? Of course, because I think he does. Because Christopher and Brandon are acting kind of as agents of Tony. And when they go and do this after they were warned the first time and they still do it, I'd be pissed if I was him too. And I think he also knows... Part of it that we learn here too later in the episode is you learn how close Tony and Jackie really are. And that's going to bother him that, you know, he knows that there's a, in that pyramid that Tony's going to be a little bit higher than him already just because of how close he is with Jackie. And we'll go a step further with that. And something we were talking about last week, 
that I bet Junior, as well as being angry about the relationship Tony has with Jackie, you got to figure that Junior is also a little pissed off at the fact that Jackie's acting boss and that Junior wasn't uh, right. promoted to. He's younger than him. It's a kid, you know, a kid, young kid in the company just came in and he's getting promoted way quicker than the guy that's been there for forever doing his job every day. And Junior's like, I'm just sitting here. <laughs> There's many junior adjectives to come. I'm just sitting here like like paint, like I'm sitting here like a statue waiting for shit to happen. Or and so I I agree and I think and I also think it's very very important here to mention and before we go on that Junior's getting really really angry and really agitated and going off on Mikey about about Tony about the whole situation and he goes Mikey takes over, and you can see that Mikey's like, this is what you should have done. You should have stopped this Christopher Moltisani before it started. Should have killed him. Should have killed everyone. Show everybody that Junior Soprano's not the F with. And and I love Junior's reaction to that. He goes, hey, hey, calm down. I'm not trying to start a Western here. I'm not making a Western. Yeah. It's just a really interesting way of thinking about Junior. And I think it's a good way of setting the Sopranos, again, different than any other kind of mafia show that you would watch where a situation like this might happen and Junior would be played as a ultra jealous, ultra paranoid, freaked out person that wants blood. Where you see Junior really doesn't want blood. He just wants respect. And he just right. he he just wants he's never been in the violent side of the family. I mean, he has his moments. He goes and watches what Mikey does at the end, which I think is a little out of character for the Junior we learn we find out about later, but that's beside the point. Maybe that's one of the things that they directed or that they wrote in this episode. And Junior's there watching, ha ha ha, from smiling from the dark. You could see Chase being like, Junior wouldn't do that. No. And so maybe that's another one of those little things that was added in this episode that they didn't want later. And part of it too, though, is at this point here, he's also have to has to start kind of posturing for the fact that he knows at this point here, they and as we find out throughout the episode, Jackie's on his way out. He doesn't have a lot of time left. So he has to start realizing if he's going to not kind of do something about Christopher right now, that he's essentially letting Tony got, Tony's guys run over him, you know, for when Jackie's out of the picture, which is going to be sooner than later at this point. Good you know? point. So he has to do something. He knows that. Good point. You can't let this – you have to You have to stop it before it gets out of control. Headed off at yeah, the past. Yeah, he knows Jackie's gone soon. So. And he knows, and we talked about this a lot last week's episode about Tony and Tony being all being someone that is probably one of the biggest hypocrites in the New Jersey mafia in the sense that he will talk like he's connected to the old ways and respect and yada, yada, yada. But he's also completely selfish and has Christopher in him. He He's a little bit of both when it really comes down to it. Tony isn't completely an honor honor bound man of the old of the old ways he he just isn't so he aj he also goes off on aj and that he had to buy aj a 400 dollars surfboard so just to add fuel to your flame uh AJ's totally the kind of douchebag kid that would be from New Jersey. And I know you can kind of ride waves in New Jersey, but would never actually surf and, and be like, I need a surfboard <laughs> and get me a surfboard and never actually use it ever. So so then we get to Dr. Melfi's office and Tony's reading a newspaper. I think this is a very this is probably one of my favorite scenes of the episode. Everything with Tony and Melfi. And someone mentioned yeah, one of the best, certainly early on of these episodes, the best Melfi and Tony scenes. Exactly. And someone mentioned this before. And we have to take a look at this. I need to fi figure this out factually. But 
I believe season one of The Sopranos aired before Analyze This. I just found this in some of my research for the episode. Aired before the season of Analyze This, uh, before the movie came out. That's not to say that uh, David Chase's script was going around, but for anyone who thinks of The Sopranos and goes, oh, yeah, it's the Analyze This idea. Yeah, I thought that was funny, but this, I just never got The Sopranos. I saw enough of that. The scenes between Tony and Milfi are a thousand times better than anything that De Niro and oh, yeah. Billy Crystal do in that movie. And someone else said this before I'm repeating someone else's point, but it's very, very true. Even the comedy. You can take this the Tony and Milfi scenes for humor or you can take them for a deep uh, deep uh, philosophical meaning behind pretty much every scene. And I think each time it's you can take it either way. Either it's some of the most hilarious shit you'll ever hear in your life with the wh- Tony's reactions. And if you've ever been in therapy or you've ever been in that kind of situation, hearing Tony's reactions to her doing going through the motions of therapy and, and hearing her reactions to the things Tony said, it's it's pretty much as funny as that concept can be. In, in a oh, way. and then Tony, totally, and there's always he always tries to throw big words in there to impress her, and he it's always the words he screws up. Yeah, it's it's really really awesome stuff. I really love it. So to, so Tony asks, uh, she comes out and he's oh, I'm sorry he he notices a picture on the wall and he starts staring at it. And he just gets this look, this fun this funny look, like turns his head, kind of looks at the picture, and then he goes in the office and he sits down in his chair. And I love I just love the expression. He sits down in his chair, all back, and she's like. <sighs> Just a smile on his face, like he knows something she doesn't. Like the whole right from the beginning, he's like, he goes, "Tell me about that far- that painting, the painting of the pharmacist. It's one of those trick paintings. It's a trick painting." And Milfi's like, "What trick painting? I-, I don't know. I bought it from a gallery in Providence Town. Oh yeah." He goes, "It's a psychological trick," and he just keeps smiling yeah. at her, like, "You're messing with me. I know you. You know that I know that you know that Ferris passed out of Thirty One Flavors last night." And he says it reminds him of the Korshak test, which I think he means the Korshak. I had to put on I put on the subtitles so I could actually read what he said because I knew he screwed up Warshak, but it was like he said Korshak. I couldn't figure <laughs> out what he was gonna say. I thought he was gonna I say the three times. I thought he was gonna say the name of the character. Like I kind of rewound it too and did the same thing because at first I thought he said uh, like the character from uh, Horshack from Horshak. Jensen thought he said that too the first time. <laughs> That's awesome <laughs> because I I I thought that would be a joke that. Tony would make because he watched that because right. he was into Travolta or something. So Tony asks Milfi if the, if the painting is the farmhouse with an old rotted out tree is a trick picture. Uh, he thinks he's being smart. Milfi states that she bought it in Providence Town. He thinks that the painting is really a psychological trick and it reminds him of the Korshak test. So Milfi asks Tony if he thinks she's there to trick him and he says, no, I don't think so. Milfi asks what the picture, and then she does the therapist thing. What's the picture tell you? And he says, it tells me, hey, asshole, this, I'm, I went to Harvard and I'm smarter than you. Yep. Uh, she asks uh, she asks if the picture's depressing and it scares him and Tony states it isn't that it isn't doesn't scare him it doesn't make him depressed but it's all in the frame it's all in the framework built in there we see what we want to see is what I wrote there for a note and it's very very true I, I, I especially love Tony in this scene and I love how convinced he is of himself of him being correct in this moment and I don't know if she says it there or later on about the tree being rotted, how it's not really rotted, and he just interpreted it that way. I think he says it's a, he says it's rotted in this scene, and then she brings yeah. it up again later. Um, so I just want to let you know, I just looked this up. That's what I've been doing, that The Sopranos came out. The first release was January like 10th of 99 up through April 5th of 99. That was the first season. Mm-hmm. 
Analyze This was released in theaters in March of 1999. So they certainly, The Sopranos was on TV before that had come out in the movie. Right. Yet. And it's worth mentioning also that David Chase had been passing around his script for a couple of years before it got picked up, shot the pilot a year before, and originally had a yeah. concept of it as a movie. So, so it is worth saying that I'm pretty sure that there was some crossover with uh, people's, people taking people's thoughts there, here and there. So thank you, Matt. Good inform great information, Matt. So Milfi, excuse me, we have a text. Oh, hey, texter. Says, uh, love The Sopranos. Good to do a rewatch. This episode made me sad what was happening to Jackie. It's tough seeing a guy that must have been that strong go down that way. Yeah, I, I agree. It is tough. But I also like how we got two scenes in the episode before we got that really depressing scene that a really true, honest scene. But I like how we got the f the first two scenes with him to get a little bit more of a feel of who Jackie was as a person. And he seemed like Jackie seemed like a re like he would have been a great a better boss than Tony ends up being, and that he was a better boss than Tony ended up being because he's well, probably the reason why Junior was passed over. I mean, just because he had done his time. I mean, you think of how weird Junior can get and how he can go, you know, Jackie seems so calm all the yep. time. Uh, granted, we only know the guy when he's like mm. deep into cancer, but he still seems level-headed. No, and, and, and to, to go a step further of what you're saying, I'll go back to the last episode when Jackie's talking to Junior and Tony, he goes, you Sopranos, you know, yeah. you're, you're so, so crazy tempers. And you get a feeling that all through the family, that is a constant that every, in all through the area, even in New York, as we get in later seasons. And I mentioned this before as well, when Johnny, Johnny Sack is talking to Carmine, I believe, and they're talking about the Sopranos always have to villainize somebody. They're all, they're yeah. always, they're always those kind of people in a sense. So it's, so you can see again, why that Jack is probably thrust into this position over Tony or over, a, over a junior. So Milfi asks Tony how things are doing. He quickly changes mode and says, oh, things are actually good. It's a good week. He adds that the only thing wrong this week is that his friend is in the hospital. Milfi asks Tony what's he in for. Tony says that he originally thought it was an ulcer, but that it turned into finding out it was cancer. Now Milfi asks Tony if he's worried, and Tony thinks April is so mean that he'll scare that cancer right out of his body. And... But he and I wrote, but he is that tree and it is the cancer. So at the hospital, we see Mikey visiting Aprio and he looks at the IV and he asks him if it's if it's real, if there could be air in the IV. And that's when we get Rosalie Aprio uh, having her first line of slapping the shit out of Mikey and going, we're in a good hospital. That won't happen to him. So Mikey keeps going on about how the IV could kill him, about how he knows another guy that's living with cancer and he has it worse than Jackie has it because he has it in his brain. And Mikey just keeps going on. You can see that Jackie's very uncomfortable by this. So Tony, Hesh, and Polly and Silvio arrive almost exactly at the right time to see Prio. Tony greets Mikey with, uh, says, says it's good to see you in uh, men's clothing again. And they joke, they go back and forth and go, jokes about you should grab a fire extinguisher, making a dig at the fact of what happened to Artie's place. And then he leaves, and Junior, he also makes a funny comment, Tony does to him, just to show you that Tony isn't completely innocent. Oh, I gave back the truck. Where's my fucking vinegar peppers? And, yeah. and, Mikey's, and it's funny how Mikey and him play so bullshitty to each other. Because you get the feeling like they just never liked each other. Like, there was never a connection between Mikey and Tony. 
At least I get that. But, but Jackie says as he leaves the room, you know, you think that, oh, maybe Jackie's kind of anti-Mikey, but he's not. He says he's a nice guy. He's just like talking to the fucking Grim Reaper, but he's not saying he doesn't talk shit about him and he doesn't, mm -hmm. you know, speak ill of Junior you, or anyone on Junior's side. Do you think, and I guess this could be a bigger issue, do you think maybe Tony... Not that Ralphie is, not that I'm comparing Mikey and Ralphie, which I am to a certain extent of their personality traits. Do you think that Tony is the type of person that, that only really, if you think about all the people that he thinks of as best friends, and Carmella calls him on this later on, they're all sycophants. They're all people that will laugh at his jokes, be, except for even Jackie to, to the standpoint where Jackie seems like the type of guy that's so cool that even if he disagrees with you knows Tony well enough to be like I'll let Tony be Tony and and right. and kind of just you know be oh yeah okay of course Tony you're the best you're the best Tony you could have been a pro athlete Tony like he says things like that to him and probably fluffs up his ego where someone like Mikey and Ralphie even though Ralphie is a little fucked in the head they will tell him shit to his face. You know, won't let Tony get away with his crap. So Tony always sort of had a problem with people like that. I get a feeling like Tony has a problem with anyone who gives him any criticism about his life. Yeah. The only... Uh, Christopher gives him a lot of criticism, though. But that's family. I don't know, but that's family, though. That's family. He, he hates Christopher. I mean, Jesus, He does hate Christopher. Ends. Would you say that maybe... You no, know, no, I was going to say Hesh, but Hesh... Still walks. That's different because Hesh and even Polly are older. He has to like he. I think if Polly was his age, he would have never tolerated him for right. nearly as long as he did. Exactly. Polly was the the fuse ran out of his dealings with Polly. He just got to a point where he's like, I can't deal with Polly anymore. And why did he deal with Ralphie as long as he did? Because Ralphie made him a lot, a lot of money. He always said, you know, Ralphie's a he's a good earner. Like that's what he always said about him. And you know? and Ralphie has some connection with him as if the reconning of Sopranos had connection with him and Jackie as kids was part of his childhood. Right, career. right, 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 right. So that just got passed over because he had the uh what he, he had he had the runs or something no he got he got the clap. no he got syphilis or he got the or he got the, like chlamydia or something like yeah that. he got the clap from some hippie bra yeah, he was paying the clap from some hippie bra that's exactly what he had. <laughs> so so anyway so rosalie announces that she's going down to the cafeteria and she's gonna bring up food for everybody and uh jackie wants some brazil wants some uh wants some good food but he's not getting it so so uh, Mikey leaves, or he already had, and anyways, Tony adds that Mikey, oh, sorry, I already talked about that. So Mikey leaves, Aprile breathes a sigh of relief, saying that he's a nice guy, but the Grim Reaper, he knows every person in the world with cancer and has to mention it. Polly tells it, and then Polly, who is a similar type of person, goes right into doing the same thing. He goes, oh, you might right. be a candidate for clinical trial, and, and they're like, shut up, shut up, Polly, and still shuts him up. He says, and uh, I want to get a break from that, and... Jackie kind of, you get a feeling of Jackie, he turns to Hesh and he goes, you're lucky being a Jew, you don't have to deal with Italian, you know, crazy, crazy shit like this. And this is what changes, catches Silvio's ear and he tells Tony about, about Shlomo Titleman that owns a motel down the street at the Bada Bing. Uh, Tony admits he doesn't know him, but he's seen him around and they go, yeah, the Hasidim, Hasidim, but I should, no, Hasidim, but I don't want to meet him or something, whatever Polly says. No pussy in this episode either. No pussy in this episode either. And uh, good point. No pussy. No AJ. Anybody else not come back from our first few episodes? No, and none. Georgie, of, but he doesn't count. George. No, Georgie. Livy is only at the end of the episode. So we find out the situation. Basically, uh, this guy Titleman wants his daughter to get a divorce from her husband. That at first we get the feeling is an abusive husband, and. 
ultimately Hesh is like, stay the hell out of this. We find out that basically there's something with that the old Jewish uh, rabbi mafia squads, the Jewish mafia would go and beat some guy up and get him to sign something. So kind of a, a reconned prenuptial agreement to make it so that they could, that a husband leaving a marriage wouldn't be able to take any of what the daughter got from the family. Basically, basically something like that. It's called a get. And they can't go in there and bust this guy up to get the get. So Titleman approached Silvio about possibly doing it. And they just go back and forth about the, about the whole situation. Uh, Hesh keeps trying to tell them to stay out of the situation. When a Jew, I forget his joke. When a Jew gets a divorce, everybody suffers. It's something to that effect. But ultimately, it gets that Tony can get about $25,000 if the job is done. And Aprio basically ultimately is like, get the hell out of here, guys, as he starts to get a little tired from dealing with this. And this is one of the mild situations I can relate to. Like when you're sick and you're dealing with other people's stuff, you're just after a while, you're just like, could you all just leave? And and Jackie kind of comes to that point in that situation where he's like, could everyone just leave this room? I, I can't deal with this right now. And Hesh seems to be the only one that gets it. Be, and he's like, everyone, let's get out of here net right now. And kind of pushes everybody out of the room. So here we go into our chorus practicing of the Meadow and Hunter storyline of the night. And we talked about this in the first episode that Meadow has the uh, Jamie, Lynn, Jamie Lynn Singler uh, audition for The Sopranos thinking it was a musical. <laughs> so I wonder if this scene in, in was added specifically to appease her to let her sing in an episode. I, I wouldn't wouldn't surprise me. So we get her singing in this episode. She comes in too early with a with a with a solo, and ultimately we find out in this scene that the kids aren't sleeping because they decided to schedule SATs on the same night or on the same day. As a recital that they have as a, a recital. Is you being someone that's connected to to schools? Is that something that would actually happen? Yeah, because you don't schedule the SATs. The, well, that was kind of a stupid thing for them to say because the SATs are um, set by like a, this like national days when it has to happen. So I, the, the problem was that the concert was scheduled on the same day as the SATs. Um, so really, yeah, that could totally happen. But I think did she go to a private high school? I don't even remember. Is I that like a so. super competitive private high school? I'm assuming. I'm assuming it is. I'm assuming it is. It seems very meadow for that to be where she goes to high school. So. <laughs> Um, and Meadow is becoming Meadow is truly becoming Meadow at this point. She yeah. she's developing all, all like our first generation Meadow. Right. No, she's not. She's very different from this later on. But this is that first thing, you know, first version of Meadow that we get. You know, we really start seeing who she is. And she's such a high school kid. And she's so annoying. And, and her relationship with Hunter is very annoying as Meadow and Hunter say if they're kicked out. Totally. If we're kicked out of concert singers, it's like the best extracurricular we have. Yeah. We're fucked. We're stuck in New Jersey. Goodbye, Berkeley. Hello. Hello, New Jersey State. And Meadow tells Hunter that she's uh, she can't wait for the day to be on the. Again, this is a very teenage teenager. Uh, can't wait to be on the other side of the country for my parents. I totally can't wait to do that. Yeah. I got to go to Berkeley. Now, Hunter adds that she's uh, tired of the East Coast and wants to head out West. Meadow says the only way that can happen is if they don't sleep uh, before SATs, that they need to stay up, which triggers into our crystal meth storyline of the night with Meadow and and 
and Hunter, which never comes back exactly the way I thought thought it was going to come back. It ends up coming back in the episode College that we're going to get at a little bit later where she tells Tony that she has done drugs in the past and he freaks out on her. We'll, we'll talk more about that then. So then we go over to the Carmela shaming part of the episode as we get to the, the Buko house. And Charmaine Buko is moving boxes around. I thought this episode two was a little... Okay, from what we saw in the first episode, it surprised me that that she would be this nice at first. Even Charmaine would be even playing nice to Carmela at first. You get, you get a feeling like Charmaine doesn't pull punches. And I think by the end of the episode, she I think Carmela, she sort of bought Carmela's shit at the beginning part here. And this is where I'm going to surprise you, Matt. We'll get to it. But I think Charmaine overreacted to, to the Carmela finger. I think she overreacted to that, but we'll get into that. No, I don't think she did at all. But I mean, we're not even there yet. But even here, you can tell. The, here, I think it's bitchy, worse. The bitchy look on Carmela's face when she's like, "Oh, it's cozy." And <laughs> but but part of this, I mean, Charmaine's probably been keeping this bottled up for a long time because this isn't like a new thing. They've obviously known each other since high school period or post what? yeah earlier i mean that's when they were going out and that's when you know i think that's when uh carmela started dating tony and we find out about that at the end of the episode just the greatest fuck you anyone could ever give anyone yeah. with charmaine's you yeah. know the most passive aggressive thing ever done yeah i love how she does it too it's so perfect it's so yeah. awesome we talk that, a lot that lost, it's the most lost look you ever see on carmela's face when she tells it to her she's just like you know, she's like horrified. She's so defeated at that moment. And I love how Charmaine has that bullet in her gun for this whole relationship with Carmela. She's like, when am I, she knows she's going to use it. It's just a matter of when. This in yeah. order to get that bullet to come out, she's going to have to make the motion with her hands. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, so Charmaine kind of gets. Uh, Matt basically talked about the main point of this, the cozy thing that Carmela says, and they go back and forth. Uh, Carmela keeps going on about how uh, they used to be closer and they want to be close, and she wants to be close meanie we used to be so close let's be close so tony goes out to see king arthur and Artie's working clean in his garage uh tony comes out and tells him the place looks kind of nice Artie offers him uh an, a beer or, or eventually offers him to go buy a beer tony offers Artie some cash until the insurance comes in because Artie goes off about how the insurance thinks he's kind of mobbed up or they think that the situation's kind of hinky but who would want to burn down my place and the big thing to remember in this scene is tony offers him money we find out this more about Tony as time goes on, but it's a big thing. When Tony does something bad he, that he knows is bad, that goes against his better instincts or he thinks he made a mistake, what Tony wants you to do is take his money, take his right. gift, and then fucking forget about it and never mention it again. And he, he doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't want to hear any of that crap. And and you get it more here. You get it later in the episode when he explodes, but you can see it here too. Every time Artie gets into... You know, my life sucks. This is horrible. I'm, I, I can't, you know, I can't deal with this shit that's going on. He just wants to throw money at the problem. He always does. And just try to make it go away. You know, he does feel bad about burning the place down, but he did burn his friggin' business down. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He did burn his business down and he did. And he did. He is ultimately the cause of a lot of those issues that happened. I mean, Tony's, Tony's prop, Tony's and Junior's situation and their problem caused basically caused Artie's because Tony and Junior couldn't come to an understanding, basically caused Artie's place to burn down. The place that his father 
Rin forever. Uh, I'm getting that. Artie's really his only, I can't think of anyone else that we meet throughout the show. And I could be wrong because I forget a lot of this crap at this point, but I don't know of anyone else that he grew up with that's not like connected. You know what I mean? Where Artie's really the only kind of, you know, straight guy that he has from his childhood. Obviously, he knows a lot of people, you know, later on, but there's no one else that he grew up with that he's still close with, right? No, not really. Not not completely. I mean, I'm trying to think me oh, there is. There's somebody there's somebody right now, but eventually eventually that goes away. He's friends with Danny Scatino. The guy that ends Danny Scatino. Danny, Danny Scatino is the guy that is deaf in the Bill and Ted movies. And ultimately he ends up uh he's the guy that owns the I believe he comes in season two. Uh, but he, but he's supposed to be Tony's friend from a long time, or maybe at the end of this season because Meadows dating his son. Uh, and right, we'll get to it, I guess. Obviously, yeah, we'll get to uh, it. He's the guy that they end up taking over there, his sporting goods store. Yeah, but they're not close. Like him and Artie, you can, that scene later on where they're throwing shit at each other, you can tell how close they are for that to happen. You yeah. know. I guess we're having some slight technical difficulties on the stream. We're really sorry about that. There will be a quality audio version of this podcast, for, and uh, you can find the description in description box below. YouTube's been doing some updates, and the streaming service has been a little. Uh, they have to get it back up to snuff. We've been having some problems the last couple of weeks, so so hopefully things cleared up. Try refreshing, please, and hopefully it. If you're watching this on the replay video, it's not unwatchable. Let me know in the comment section. Thanks, guys. So outside Satria, then we get a strange vibe that Tony's starting to get annoyed. Then we get a strange vibe to this next scene as we're outside in Satriali's, Satriali's meat market as Tony's meeting with Shlomo in Titleman. Silvio and Paulio, Paulio, Polly join them. Titleman also brings along his son and uh, he doesn't introduce him. He goes, uh, what's his name or do we have to give him one? His name is Hillel. Now Titleman notes that, uh, does Tony know the story about my son and my daughter? And Tony f ends up hearing about it, and we've already heard it before, but basically what happens in this scene is Tony ultimately, Shlomo has to give 50% of his hotel to his son-in-law unless Tony can get him to sign this get. So Tony ends up turning it around and say, listen, he takes 50%, I want 25%, and I'll get him to sign the thing. The guy's son is like, this is horrible, Get away from this situation. This is a bad situation to do. Starts quoting, you know, the Old Testament. All sorts and, of stuff. Yeah. And and Tony... And Tony treats the son like shit. He keeps insulting the son several times. Like, I wasn't talking to you. Right, exactly. And keeps but he's also in waste management. He's not a criminal. He's in waste management. He makes that perfectly clear when he sits down. Now... Tony says... He goes, I'm in waste management. But then after he goes, if I can get him to do it, he doesn't, you know, cop to what his actual, you know, role is here. But So it's very interesting to me in this scene, too, because Hillel doesn't understand why. OK, now, to Titleman. Titleman ends up using this as all just a bargaining chip to get lesser percentage from his son-in-law. He's using Tony right from the very beginning here. You think so? I, I wonder. It makes me wonder because ultimately Tony spells it out very clear for him what the deal is. I, I hear that Tony's a, a roughs him up, threatens castration, does all those sort of things. But Titleman knows the deal he's making here. I think when Titleman freaks out on him later, he's kind of – he's way – 
I don't think that's just. I don't think he should be that hard on Tony for what he's doing in that situation. I think Tony's doing Tony's doing what he can do. And Tony's Tony set up a situation. Titleman's the one that decided to go down that go down that path. Yeah, and I mean, when you get involved with Tony, you should know that's what's going to happen. I mean, waste management aside, that's what's going to happen if you get involved with those people. Exactly. So his son was right the whole time. So now uh, Hillel doesn't understand why Tony would say that. Tony notes that he isn't talking to him. Hillel tells Titleman that he's creating a golem and a monster to do his dirty work. Hillel believes that Tony will destroy them. Titleman just ignores his son and tells Tony if he gets what he wants, they have a deal. So Tony appreciates their business and they leave. And the son is in complete disagreement over the state that their motel or just can't believe that his father signed him signed a deal with the devil essentially here. So then we go to Polly and Silvio traveling to the motel to, t- <laughs> to talk to Titleman's son-in-law, Ariel. Now, I, I, I can't remember where I know this actor from, but he is he's a mildly well-known actor. And his relationship and his interactions with Polly are in Silvio in this scene. In this this scene leading to all the scenes with him and them, especially this first one, is just freaking hilarious. Really funny stuff here. It starts off, Silvio's like, I'm here to talk to you for my friend, for my friend. And he's like, oh, you brag that this person's your friend? That this yeah. per- Shlomo. And I love that his name is Shlomo because it just sounds, it's such a like schmucky name to have. <laughs> Ariel informs him that Titleman isn't at the motel right now. Silvio says that he's aware of that and says that, uh, that they're, that they have some business with him. Silvio states that it revolves around the problem that he's having. Ariel tells Silvio that any problem he's having is none of their business. He tells them to get the hell out of there. Now, Silvio he tells says, don't embarrass yourself any further. Yeah, you don't know. You don't know what you're talking about with the situation. So Silvio tells uh, tells tells them basically tells them that listen, you're you're gonna get nothing in this situation. And this guy goes into listen. I've been married to this woman for so long. He feels that they've made, he's made improvements to the hotel, that this guy owes him money. Ariel says that he intends to get what he deserves. And Ariel tells them, don't find yourself embarrassed and tells them to leave. And I love this. Silvio and Polly just go, are you, Matt, are you embarrassed? I'm not embarrassed. Are you, are you embarrassed? And Polly and Silvio shove Ariel into a counter and Polly tells him to stop bo- stop bothering Titleman about the 50% cut because he's got nothing coming to him. And Ariel curses on him and Polly picks up the bell on the desk and just starts bashing into his head over and have- and, and Silvio's like, Bupkiss, tell him Bupkiss. Say Bupkiss. And he's like, what? He goes, that's how they say nothing. Bupkiss, you get Bupkiss. And he's like smashing him with a bell the whole time. Oh, it's fucking awesome. And, and not... And nothing. So later in that night, we get Carmela and Tony. And Carmela's like, guess what? Can you guess? And Carmela's like, uh, Tony goes, no, I can't guess. And it's just such so husband and wife stuff. And Tony, and she goes, I'm, I got a great idea that the pediatric hospital for charities is going to hire Artie and Charmaine to cater the event. It's going to be so wonderful. And Carmela jokes with them and says they should. And Tony's like, since when do we invite people into our houses here, Carmela? And she goes, let's just move back to Italy and pour hot oil on our guests to keep them out. So we end up hearing some loud music coming from Meadow's room and Tony bangs on the. And it's such a Carmela move to obviously she's the one that made them. It's like her. It's her charity to to Artie and Charmaine by having them get hired for this because she feels so bad about the small, cozy house. 
and to go a step Again, further. I hate Carmelo in this episode. If you're ever going to get me on your side, this is the one where I don't like her. <laughs> and it's funny that you said charity and she's she's having them work at a charity right. event and giving them charity through charity. She's used, It's almost she, like she's having the event as an excuse to pay them, to pay Artie and Carmelo. I think you're onto something here. I, like you wonder where the how everything how everything came into play, how she got the idea. So Carmela states that the Bucos are broke after the fire at Vesuvius. Two, Tony states that the insurance would finally pay them up. They don't have any will finally pay them up. They don't really have worries. Carmela asks Tony if it really could have been arson. To which Tony immediately uh, is just like banging on the wall of Meadows' room. Shut up! Shut up! So Carmela goes into the other room. In her room, Meadows talking on the phone. Carmela comes in and's like, Hunter, why are you here? Why are you staying over? And they're like, oh, we have to stay over. We're studying and yada, yada, yada. We also get Carmela making sure that she's blaming the, which it is for real. Uh, Tony's the one complaining about the music and he lets she, she lets Hunter stay. The important thing in this scene is at the end, we get her and Hunter on the phone calling some friends looking for Crystal to stay up to study. They need to, they need to do crystal to, to study. That's, that's why they need to do it. <laughs> it's fucking pile of shit. It really is. It really is. Take some notos like everybody, like we did <laughs> back yeah, in our, see, back in my day. Yeah. That's my... only a few years after we were in high school, believe it or not. Sadly, that's like 15 years ago. I know. Whatever. I know. So the next day we get Charmaine and Carmela talking about the budget for the hospital event. Charmaine's glad that they could help out a very worthy cause. And here we get Carmela calling over her maid, uh, Ona or whatever her name is with the Carmela finger. And this is again, so Carmela to what she says to uh, what she says to Charmaine afterwards. She's like, yeah, she's really good. She's usually very good. She's from Poland. She's from Poland. I just love how she says that. Like, like I didn't like because she's from Poland. She's a good cleaning lady. Yeah, but that's why this is so important later on. The fingers because she's so it's so the help that she's talking to. Like that's the way she talks to the help. That's the way she calls the help over. Absolutely. And that's and and she and also what a oh, she's so Carmela about the rubbing it in the face of Charmaine that like you know she has her stuff all pristine up in the cabinets she's like horrified that the help from Poland hasn't cleaned it a little bit better <laughs> when they ha- when they're living in a house out of boxes and she's already made it a point that she's frighteningly frighteningly aware of what's actually going on it's it's just it's just a really it's a really bad situation for for Charmaine but Charmaine's dealing with it because she needs the work and she's thinking about it from a charity standpoint when it really, when it really comes down to it. Do you, so what do you think was Charmaine and Carmela's relationship growing up? Do you think they were used to be actual good friends or do you think, do you think they know Carmela's always been who Carmela is? Do you think Tony made her who she is or do you think she was always that person? I mean, they were probably all a bunch of little Italian girls that went to CCD together and like went to church together and went to every single, whatever those ridiculous Italian feasts are. No offense, any Italians that are listening to this, but all of those things growing up, um, I mean, she kind of explains at the end, she goes, yeah, I wasn't into it. And I made my own decisions. You know, I think she was kind of, I think she probably looks down on Carmela now because Carmela knew better and went with Tony anyway. She's someone who, and Carmela still cries how she's she's not corrupt and she's still going to heaven or she's trying to go to heaven even though she married the big mobster. I don't know. I mean, if I were her, I, but who marries Artie Bucco either? Think about that though. <laughs> Think about that. Think about I choose Artie Bucco. Over, to, like after you were Tony, you go to his 
friend Artie because you probably because Artie was the most likely not to ever get mobbed up. Right. He's also the most likely to be Artie, which isn't a good thing at all. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> So at the Moltisanti rest residence, Christopher is watching an episode of the television show Cops, and it's just kind of funny. And, and Christopher's like, yeah, that guy, they wouldn't be calling him sir if uh, the camera wasn't on him. Christopher, right, we said right from the beginning is Christopher, and he's just, he's so, he's awesome in this episode. It's a good Christopher episode. And we get Christopher complaining about the cops. We get Adriana actually getting a few lines in this episode. It's our first real introduction to Adriana's voice. And yeah, Brendan's doing his stupid pull-ups the whole pull time. Pull-up moves. And the doorbell eventually rings, and Adriana answers, it, answers the door, and it's Meadow and Hunter. Christopher asks Meadow why she's here, and Christopher asks Meadow what she, or asks why she's here and what she wants. Now, Filoni jokes that Meadow came here just for him. And this is where we get into... Something that, again, they played with more in this first season that Christopher and Meadow are in similar age groups, so they have some sort of relationship. That Christopher's probably the one that actually told Meadow that her father was in the mafia because he makes very point. Your, God, your father would kill me if I sold him crystal. They asked to buy some crystal. Brendan's like, I'll sell it to you. You got money? And they're like, and Christopher's like, no, you're not fucking buying crystal. And Meadow tries to guilt him by going, I'm going to go down to the, to the, to the bad neighborhood. Jefferson Avenue. Jefferson Avenue neighborhood and buy it from them. And Chris is like, if you go down there, they'll rape you, steal you and leave you for dead. And Oh, the Moulin Yans. You don't want to be near the Moulin Yans. <laughs> And uh, we apologize as as we've we've gotten from the chat room. YouTube, if you're watching this later on YouTube and you're like, why is this just audio? It's because the streaming service kind of failed us, but we don't want to stop the podcast and restart. So we're going to finish this and then I'm going to take the audio for this and upload it all to YouTube as, an, as audio only. And the podcast is always available for the audio download. We're sorry for this inconvenience and hopefully the streaming service will fix itself sooner than later on here or we'll find another streaming option like Blab or one of the other options to be able to do live streaming if this continuously fails for us. So again, we're really sorry for this. Anyways, so the doorbell rings and Adriana answers the door and they all come in. So they end up leaving. Meadow and Hunter leave. Brendan, like, basically, I fucks uh, Hunter a few times. and Which is disgusting because Hunter is... Ugh. Yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, ultimately... Worse than Artie Buco, but fine. She's like... She's she like, also looks totally easy, too, though. Like, he, he could totally have... She's ugly her. Blossom. You know, there's something yeah. attractive about Blossom, but... No, I don't actually. <laughs> That's horrifying, too. <laughs> so, Hunter tells Christopher that they need to study for exams. It's for her and not for Meadow. And yeah, right. Yeah, Meadow... Meadows, Meadows not using it. You guys want it for stutter, studying, studying. So the girls leave, and Filoni notes that no one told him goodbye. And Meadow flips him the bird, and they walk out. Adriana tells Christopher that he doesn't think Meadow, or tells Christopher that she sh he should give her some meth because because she doesn't want her to go down there and get ripped off or given poison. Horrible advice by Adriana here, don't you think? Oh, absolutely horrible. And you probably don't relate to this as much. This isn't a knock to you, but it's a weird thing having only because you don't have brothers and sisters. When the younger ones come up to you and ask you for something that you probably shouldn't do for them, you're trying to be the cool older brother or older sister. And yet at the same time, it's probably not the right thing to do. Like he's stuck with that right there. You know what I mean? Like the, like, right, the right thing to do in that situation is to go right to Tony and tell Tony that your daughter just came to me asking for meth. 
Sorry. Right. I wanted to tell but you. But you can't do that either. You know, and then that's what he's in a tough situation with that. So. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it is a, it's a really tough, it is a really tough situation Christopher's put in. And I, I mean, I get why he does what he does at the end there and he's being a good cousin. He, he errs on the side of being the cool cousin and thinking. Yeah. That, but you know, it's not, it's not like she's asking him for alcohol or, or weed or something like that. She's, can you get me crystal meth? Like that's sketchy. That's sketchy to ask someone to get for you. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and it's also, but it's also, again, is that one of those things that ultimately you is so bad that you would have to tell, like, if you were in Christopher's position, would you tell Tony, what would you have ended up doing? It's tough. It's tough. No, it's tough. I mean, I, I'll be honest that I've been in situations like this with uh, cousins and, and with, with or been on the opposite side of this is asking older cousins for things in situations like that. And sometimes I've been but told you never asked them for crystal meth. And no, that's the difference. No, my, my point is I've asked for it was weed. You know, it, right. It's a big difference. No, I don't believe it. <laughs> so so anyways, at the hospital, we see Tony visiting Jackie. Jack, he asked him why he's visiting so late. And I'm going to yada yada this a little bit. But ultimately, although I will tell you, this is the only time I thought we we're going to have to see AJ when he lied and said, oh, my son stepped on a nail or something. I'm like, oh, shit, here comes AJ. <laughs> Tony ultimately gets uh, Jackie, a stripper from the Bing, to come over there and give him kind of a lap dance and make him feel a little bit better and give him kind of say a nice goodbye to him in his, in his way. Or I don't even think it was a goodbye. I don't think Tony realized it was the final goodbye, but it was it was a. It was ultimately his final time with his friend for real. So the next morning, Tony had a session with Milfi. He tells her what happened the night before. He says they brought up some alcohol later and they had a little bit of fun. And ultimately in this scene, he smiles, but then he kind of changes the subject and looks around and sees her Tufts medical medical school license. And Milfi said, and he goes, "Oh, you're a doctor. What do you think of what do you think of of Jackie's condition?" And she goes, well, I don't know. Uh, what's his condition? And Tony's like, he has cancer. <laughs> yeah, it's all the same. He has cancer. And she's like, what kind of cancer? And he tells her it's in his intestines. Uh, Milfi goes, that doesn't make sense. I thought you said he might go home. And Tony says, well, you know, they operated. They thought they could get it, but they didn't get it. And they ultimately. They came, it came back and it's too close to a vital organ, so they can't get it. And Milfi goes, oh. Just like that. Oh, it doesn't sound good. And Tony's like, what? I'm not a doctor. I would, you don't know what I'm telling you is the truth. I wanted you to reassure me. And uh, he's got getting angry. And she goes, why are you so angry? And he goes, he goes that Jackie Aprio has had chemotherapy every day for three weeks. And he still has all of his hair. And he has a beautiful head of hair. And he's a beautiful man. And he berates Milfi for telling him how it sounds like uh, because, that she doesn't know Aprio. Milfi feels like they're getting closer to confronting his true feelings about what's going on. Now, Tony notes that he told her his true feelings and or no and she should tell him what's really going on and cut through the bullshit. Milfi says the tr and this is where she says what you were talking about earlier, Matt. She says the pit, the painting, the tree, the painting of the tree. It was rotted out indicating and Tony's like I knew it I knew it that tree was a trick picture you fucking tricked me and he goes no I remind, remind you of the ducks the ducks had a meaning too everything has a meaning you project it she asks what happens to a tree when it's rotted out and Tony goes that great fucking scam uh -huh. you 
Yeah, freaks out. Goes, great fucking scam you have here. Uh, I don't have the exact. You trees, ducks. What the fuck are you, Ranger Rick? <laughs> I forgot. Thank you, Matt. I have that written right here. Great fucking line. And he also goes, you're pulling a scam. Great. Go fuck yourself. This is his first time freaking out on her. This is his first go fuck yourself to her. And again, this is one of those things that we were talking about at the beginning. If you've ever actually been in therapy, we've all had this moment in therapy where someone hits on a nerve and you're like, fuck you. I'm out of here. Screw you. I don't want, I'm, I, I, I have actually since, since the Sopranos, when I've been in therapy, there's been a couple of times where I've used Tony lines. The one I've used mostly is when I'm like, don't want to hear it. I go, I'm done with therapy today. (laughs) We're just, I've had enough therapy this week and he just walks out and this is what his first of those kind of reactions. She really presses him and he's just like, go fuck yourself. I love it. You never use the Ranger Rick line. I've, therapy, I don't think, I've right? never, but it is worth mentioning that back in when you and I were kids in elementary school, when we go on sleepovers over to one in particular to uh, to our friend Palmer and Eben's house and another one to our friend John H's house. We they encouraged me to bring magazines that I had over that I had for my stepfather to uh, to to look at during said slumber parties, and they would refer to the magazines as Ranger Ricks. <laughs> they were they would call it the Ranger Ricks. Well, oh, Phil, you're gonna and bring for all people that are under the age of thirty. Mm-hmm. Magazines was the primary way that young boys could. Um, See stuff you could only see in magazines back then. Right. So. Stuff that you get for free on on yeah. on on red tubes or whatever YouTube or weird YouTubes around the world these days. It was a different day and age for that kind of material. You really have to find it. It made it it made getting it so much worth it because you'd be like, because it would be a big struggle to find it. So yeah. So and and then it would make scenes like Jackie Aprio's scene with the with the it would be it'd be like oh I have to rewatch that one scene in the episode. There's a reason why a site like Mr. Skin came into existence just for that reason to help little kids find places like that. Anyways, so so we continue. We don't we don't condone that. Yeah, we do. So so at the at the at the catering, uh, Carmela's taking orders for the food and. Okay, blah, 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 blah. Let's get through this whole situation. This is the... Oh, no, I'm sorry. This is before what we were talking about. Carmela is ordering the food, and Christopher sneaks in the back door, and Carmela sees him walking up the stairs. He goes to the room, gives uh, Meadow some meth, tells him she's giving it to him because she doesn't want, him to go, doesn't want her to go to Jefferson Ave, and pr- makes, him pro- makes her promise not to tell her father, you don't want to see me get a gun to the back of the head. He does say to her, he goes, I know we're not always close. that close. But I don't think you want to see me dead, is what he says to her. And it's also interesting, it's worth mentioning, we'll talk about this later when we get to college, that she does not rat him out. She holds this secret. She doesn't, she never tells Tony this. And she never tells anybody this. Or, or Carmel or our Tony or anybody else that were Finn or Tony would have actually probably killed him, or at least He wasn't made yet. Chris, Christopher wasn't made yet. He would have killed him. I think, he, or at least would have beat the living, beat the ever-loving shit out of him. So Meadow promises not to tell anybody. Carmela comes in at the right moment, and you see how duplicitous uh, Meadow can be right in the drop of a hat. Carmela's like, hey, what's going on in here? And without a beat, she goes, no, Brendan, what, no, no, Hunter won't go out with Brendan. She just, like, without yeah. even, like, quicker than I can even read it, she just goes, bam, right into it. Yeah. So then we get a scene with Artie and Charmaine talking about how 
And, and, hold on, and Carmelo like scolds Christopher. You stay out of here and don't bring that boy around her. And he's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I did him a favor. Now I'm done. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't, he still gets scolded by her, which is amazing. Don't let don't let that cr- creep around those children. Don't let that asshole around those yeah. children. Some, something she says to that effect. So then we get a quick scene with Artie and Charmaine, which is important to mention that Charmaine thinks that it's okay to play the Soprano game this time because ultimately it's for they're charity. They're working for it. What was that? They're working for it. They're it's working not, for They're it. not just taking money from them. Eh, I think she's rationalizing a little bit. She ultimately cut. No, she does. No, I think you're right because throughout the series after this point, she keeps working for events like this for Carmela. She just realizes that she's the help and just stops being close. There's other events later where they're like, let's hire Artie as the caterer. Like this, this comes back. This is the first of many times that Artie's the caterer for a soprano party. Plus she knows she's networking with all the other people. Right. So So she, she, people like the food. She can take a little shit for it. So we yeah. see we see Carmela in we so in this scene, Artie throws it back at her. She's like, "Why can you do this?" Carmela says exactly what Matt just said. I mean, excuse me, Charmaine says exactly what Matt just said back to Artie. Artie says, "Well, then you'll let Tony offer me." I forgot to mention this before. Tony offers Artie some money to re, reopen the the uh, restaurant. And she goes, "No, you don't want to get into money for someone like Tony Soprano. You're an idiot, Artie." You know, you're, you stop it, Artie. You're an idiot. So at the Soprano residence, Carmela talks with one of the representatives from the hospital. She thinks the event's going well. And we see a woman that is enhancing Carmela's douchosity in this scene. And because Carmela's talking with the highbrow, highbrow of whatever, she's like, oh, mm, the food's doing well. And I think in just a quick moment, I don't think she just quickly does not even for a moment, think that this is my friend. She points at Charmaine and she gives her the Carmela finger, come over here and bring this woman some hors d'oeuvres. Now, this is where we might get into a slight disagreement and I don't want to spend too much of my energy defending Carmela. There is something to this though, Matt, that if you hired me to do a job for you, to, to, to wash your windows, and you were like, dude, you missed a spot right there, missed a spot, or or even working as a caterer for an event that you were hosting for some colleagues. And I was working on the, the staff and you were talking to your higher up that you were trying to impress and you wanted to make sure they got a drink. I'd be, I would not take it so offensively that you do the same motion you do to a waiter in a restaurant to get him to come over. To co- I don't to do ma- weird motions to waiters and, well, I don't know. But you know what I'm saying though? Like if you did, I wouldn't think it was that, I wouldn't think it was that weird. I think Carmela is looking at her as an animal and looking at her as someone that, she, you know, like a tool. But I think- but This also, is also, there's also like years of resentment. I think that's Charmaine. more part of it. I think that's more, I think, honestly, I think that's more, more part of it because- I don't think it's that moment. I think that moment culminates something that's probably been brewing inside Charmaine forever. So you think the straw that broke the camel's back, essentially. So it's the final, it's the final, it's the final straw that sets her like, I'm not going to take Carmela's shit even for a second. It's probably, she's probably wondered for a long time if Carmela thinks she's better than her for some reason, because Carmela has the money and is married to Tony and all these other things. And she probably thinks, well, Carmela probably thinks she's better than me. I'm not really sure. And then this kind of lets her know at that moment. Good, good, good way of saying it. So then we hear the sounds of Paulio and Silvio taking Ariel and kick, throwing him in the trunk of the car. So then we go back to the charity and we get the Tony and Artie. Do you know what I wrote down in my notes? And for that moment between the Charmaine thing, I just wrote grabs Jew and then goes. To the next 
<laughs> I love it. Love it. And so we get this awesome, awesome, awesome scene. And this goes to what you were saying, Matt, between Artie and Tony, where we really get to see the two of them being friends. And and it's two things. One, we get to see Tony finally come to a head with Artie complaining about losing his restaurant. He doesn't want to hear it anymore. He's like, shut up, you depressing jerk. Shut the hell up. And Artie, who's one of the only people on earth, do you th- and that's a big question. Could anyone else? I, I, who else could do that? I have no idea. Could Carmela? Not jokingly. She would have done it in sheer anger, but that would have been different. Right. Like, who re- does? Could Sylvia? No, he wouldn't do that. They no. They wouldn't dare. They wouldn't do it. They wouldn't. So, so Artie is the only person that could say, shut the fuck up and go th- call him a motherfucker and throw something at him and not get the full brunt of Tony Soprano. Maybe- Tony Blondetto, maybe, but that's it. Yeah, I don't know. maybe, maybe Janice. Janice. Janice is- that's a, Sure. Yeah. But that's how close he is. He's like a brother-sister. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's yeah. his relationship. She's probably right. the only other one I could think of. So you motherfucker, they're getting this motherfucker off where they start, you jerker, you motherfucker, you motherfucker, back and forth. And this is, uh, this is again, just one of those moments where we talked about in last week's episode where friendship, where I can relate to this moment. I know you can, Matt. I mean, we're a group of friends. You, you know, we have lots, between the two of us, we have lots of different groups of guy friends that some were connected in together, some we aren't. And this is very accurate to two people that are very close dealing with each other in a situation like this. It's two people that all, this reminds me of something you and me would get into or that we got into at Nick's wedding or something like that. Like, shut the fuck up. Fucking, fuck you, fuck you. You know, like a back and forth sort of thing. But it's it's based out of love, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I touched upon a, t- a sensitive subject. Matt's like, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah if I so. could throw something at you right now, I would. <laughs> you motherfucker. So Polly and Silvio take Ariel to the upper part of Satriel's meat market. Uh, Ariel cowers in fear, but Polly says this is because, is this all because you won't say yes to a divorce? Ariel tells Silvio it isn't as simple as he thinks. Polly and Silvio beat him and, and, tells him, and, and says he only needs to sign his name in the paper and this will all stop. Ariel, excuse me. Ariel tells Polly that I really don't like you. <laughs> and this is just, I love how he says that to him. I just don't like you. And they just beat the shit out of him. They knock him out. They knock him in the back of the head. And it's just a really funny moment where Silvio turns to Polly and he goes, This guy's a, oh no, Polly says, This guy's a bull. And Silvio goes, If we don't have to kill this guy, we should put him to work. Yeah. So, uh, another place we see Tony with uh, the real arena, not the first arena that we saw. First time we actually, I think, meet her, this this actress playing her. He notes that it was really hard to get away from the party to get to her. And so before Tony can do his thing, which is uh, very thankful because I never really liked Tony's sex scenes. They always make me feel icky. And so Ew. They are. They were just really weird. You're, and usually they're with gir- with girls that look way too hot for Tony Soprano, where you're like, ugh. Yeah, and he's... It looks and like he's so sweaty and just Tony. And <laughs> yeah, all of them, especially know? when we get into the Tony and Gloria stuff, where I, where I was yeah. a big Gloria fan, and I'm like, oh, gross, get that off of her. <laughs> so Tony answers the phone. He kind of needs to stop. And Tony answers the phone. And it's Silvio. Silvio tells Tony that things aren't working out like they hope with Ariel. They can't get him to sign the paper. So he tells Silvio, I'll be right over, and, and he tells Arena that he's sorry he has to go. She's upset, but she doesn't go all crazy like she eventually does later on, or speaking of Gloria, that Gloria does later on. So we get Tony apologizing, 
And uh, but he says it's urgent. So she curses in Russian a little bit at him. And then he gets distracted by one of the paintings on the motel wall. And he thinks it's another rotted out tree in the background. And Tony asks her what the painting means to her. And she says, very funny, it reminds me of or nothing. It reminds me of David Hockney. Hokey, David Hokey. And of course, we do the research for you. Now, David Hockey, if you're curious, is an English painter, painter and uh, stage designer and ph photographer that was famous, a big contributor to the pop art movement of the 1960s. He's considered one of the most influential British artists of the 20th century. I always, I always laughed at that joke, but I never knew what it meant until, until looking that up. So if anyone's curious, that's what it means. So, uh, so Tony arrives at Satriel's and he walks upstairs to find Ariel and he goes, you're, pr you're pretty much an idiot. You know, you're the only guy that would fight this hard not to get a divorce. And he, he goes, you're a stupid son of a bitch. And the guy goes, I've heard that before. Tony goes, are you proud of that? He goes, nope, I'm not proud of that. And I'm going to have to kill you. And he goes, well, we can't kill you because I, you pr I promised Titleman I wouldn't kill you. And Ariel goes, well, you promised him. And if you do kill me, a black cloud will go over Shlomo's house forever. And I win no matter what. And then he goes into this whole thing where he goes, he goes, I'm not afraid of you. Did you uh, ever hear of the Masada? There were 900 Jews. They held their own against 15,000 Roman soldiers, and they eventually chose death over enslavement. Ariel says, where do you think those Romans are now? And Tony goes, well, you're looking at them right now. You're looking at them now, which technically isn't necessarily true, but for general no, purposes. No, but the way he says it goes, and where are the Romans now? And he goes, you're looking at him, asshole. Right. That's it's a great response. It's a great response, and it's also a classic Tony ignorant response in the sense yeah. that that essentially, if you want, we can get into history, but the Italians now aren't the same Italians attached to the Roman Empire. Uh, at least, no, from, certainly not Sicilians. Certainly not Sicilians. Exactly. We could, without getting too far down actual history. So there's he's closer. You get closer in in some analyzation that I've looked at at this episode from a standpoint of thinking about, uh, he could have said, he's more likely to say, we are the Americans. The Americans, you're looking at them right now when it, when it really comes down to it. But whatever. So he eventually starts, Ariel just gets into the, as I walk through the Valley of the Shadow, the Coolio song thing. And goes in as... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what it is, the Coolio song. The Coolio song. And, sorry. And... And Tony goes, hold that thought for a second. Don't, why don't you back up through that valley for a second here? And Tony ends up going outside and he calls Hesh on the phone. He goes, I'm here with my non-shell fish eating friend. And, <laughs> and it's just a funny, I just think it's a funny scene between him and Hesh where Hesh just reminds him that he warned him to stay out of the, the fight, which Hesh, again, we, met, we were talking about this in the big theme of this episode, who can tell Tony off? Hesh if Silvio and Polly, Hesh eventually becomes more scared of Tony, and there's actually something that gets talked about this in a later episode of The Sopranos, and I think towards the final season, where Hesh goes, I used to be feel more comfortable talking to Tony. Is before, and I think when he become when Tony becomes boss, the few people that might talk shit to him that are on that line, someone like Hesh, which will tell him, Tony, you're being an idiot here. He won't do that once he's boss. Right. He'll do it here where he's like, dude, I warned you about these people. I warned you not to get into it. And Tony, Tony just said, yeah, whatever. He, go, he goes, uh, you know, this guy's willing to, willing to, willing to bite the bullet. He's willing to, what's, what exactly does he say? He's willing to go down with the ship like no one ever before is what he says. That's what it is. I didn't have my notes. And Hesh goes, listen, okay, maybe he's willing to die, but there's one thing that no man in the world will want to live without. 
You know, uh, finish his brish. Finish his bris. Be a moil. Make like a moil. And Tony thinks it's an awesome idea. I don't think he gives him the classic, you, 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 you smart Jew. This is why my uncle yeah, kept you Jew. I knew my dad kept you around for, for a reason. reason. Yeah, that, there's that constant thing that he like always go to. You Jew. That's why my, you smart Jew. So the, then we go on, we cut over to Carm, Carmella. No, quick, quick note on that, mm-hmm. which I had never noticed before because I didn't know to look for it. If you notice when Hesh answers the phone, he has his girlfriend in bed with him. Is it's like kind of a big point later that his girlfriend is black, but she is in that original episode. It's not talked about, it's not mentioned, but he's a much younger black girlfriend in bed with him. The girl that eventually I mean, obviously it's we can't tell if it's the same girl that's ends up being. No, 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 but still that's kind of a sticking point and would have been for like Italians. You know, it's still a very taboo thing in like a mobster's like and, like and we're also going to get very – and some could connect that, that that's with Hesh's way of rationalizing some of the mistakes he made in his life connected to the music business that we're going to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff that uh, my I, people were the white man's whatever. That's a, Yeah, that's we're going to get into it. That, that's going to be an interesting episode to talk about in this day yeah. and age. And I think we should talk about that stuff too uh, on a general thing. Do you think The Sopranos could get away with some of the stuff that it get, gets away with now if the show came out now? I, I think it has. I mean, it's on HBO. It it's has on, okay, it's on HBO. It's fair. And and we still live in a world where South Park exists. So we haven't quite got to the point where the PC police have attacked South Park and can get no, them to stop like, doing what they do. I, you you can watch some old Seinfeld episodes and there's no way in hell those could get made today. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. You're absolutely right about that. I have to. And I, I say this a lot that we're like the miracle on 34th Street of podcasts. I couldn't recommend more the post-episode recap Seinfeld rewatch podcast series uh, done by Rob Sesternino and a, a fellow teacher of yourself, of you, Matt, uh, Akiva, Akiva Whitaker. They're both, uh, they're both, they, they, they are going back and doing what we're doing for the Sopranos for Seinfeld. And it's very, oh, they, except the, the, the pilot of the Seinfeld is so much worse. Than oh, and it's horrible. They, they, tra- they trap, they trash that pilot and they trash the episodes when it needs to be trashed. But one thing that they're constantly like a, a through line through their podcast is what we're talking about here. And what you just said, this couldn't happen in Seinfeld today in that most Seinfeld episodes would be solved with the invention of cell phones <laughs> that, that, that right, right. Especially those first season episodes. Okay. So then we get to our Carmela in Charmaine uh, talking about the success of the charity event. And Carmela is just like, it was such a great event. It was so good having you there. It was so good for me. It made me so keeps calling her, keeps calling her Manny, too, Manny, the whole thing. Manny and how good it was for me. I just love how, like, I just want to point out that she, she says, I couldn't have done it without you. It meant so much to me having you there to boss yeah. around and lord over you and feel, and to do, oh gosh, this is just one of those things, like an aha moment, to do the same exact thing that Tony does in a slightly different way, that where she doesn't want to hear about the problems, she doesn't want to hear that she's making any mistakes, she just wants to hear that, you're, thank you, Carmela, for everything that yeah. you do. It's, she only, and she says, you'll get, she says you'll get back on your feet at some point, as if she's off her feet and she's down and out, and she's, she yeah. is charity at that point. Yeah. And even your, even your puppy dog, Rosalie, is is the only one that can kind of call Carmela on her shit, but she needs to go back on it. After, like she'll she'll call her out, and then she'll say, "I'm sorry for doing that," because she understands that Carmela is the boss's wife at that point. So right. she needs to kind of play ball. But you get a feeling like Rosalie was probably I don't I wonder because she we don't get we'll have to see because I'm ha- having trouble remembering if their friendship 
becomes part of the show until later on because I wonder if they weren't as close of friends when she was the boss, when Rosalie was the boss's wife. And maybe it happens. I think it starts when, when well, Jackie dies. We also dies. don't know because she's busy dealing with the fact that her husband's about to die from cancer. She exactly. doesn't have time to be. Exactly. We just don't, we don't get a big clue of was Carm was Charmaine a friends with them grow, all growing up? What's her relationship? That being said, Rosalie is someone that doesn't hold her tongue with Carmella. She'll call Carmella on her bullshit when it really. No, but kind of the, that's kind of the cool situation that Charmaine's in because she can do it without. It's not really fear of retribution because she's not part of the family, so she doesn't have to worry about her being able to take. You know, so it's not some like mafia <laughs> way she can get angry at her and she's also not like a common person who you know tony can just make disappear you know because right. it's Artie's wife so yep. she has this she's in a weird place where she can talk to her like that and there's really no retribution and she also to go even a step further with that she also doesn't give a shit i know the restaurant doesn't exist right now but when the restaurant does exist she doesn't give a shit about people not coming into the restaurant either oh she'd be happy no. if none of those mafia people which that's my one thing my one sticking point where that bothers me about her and i guess she has less of a problem with it later on uh, after this point than she does in those first couple of episodes but she always complains about it that she'll work for carmella and work for them in this context but doesn't understand that the because i agree with this is one of the few things i agree with Artie. having a little bit of that element helps his restaurant and keeps them keeps them in business and when they comes to that point later on the series when they start going to other places other restaurants just to try it out when there's that new restaurant they go to he we have several scenes with Artie where he's like business sucks right now because none of those people are in here they yeah. but they're and yeah we get into tony's Tony's What's funny is because of The Sopranos, that element would help restaurants now even more than it did before The Sopranos. Yeah. Like it made that idea of it cooler. You know what I mean? Like now people, it's like how people all live in Southie right now because it's the cool thing. People would all go to an Italian restaurant with mobsters sitting in it because of The Sopranos. Absolutely. You know? And we get the ultimately leading up to the scene where Carmella, where Carmella just goes, she's going and going and going. And she just turns to Charmaine. She's like, is something bothering you, Manny? What's going on, Manny? And Artie will be back on the feet in no time and Charmaine's like listen I'm and this is where she's like enough I am fine where I'm at excuse me and then she goes I wanted to tell you this for a really long time it was before you and Carmela's just and you mentioned this before Carmela is clueless to where this is going and she goes before you and Tony were married it was before you and Tony were married and Carmela's face is just so Edie Falco is such a great actress and it shows in the scene the way she plays this the, just discovering this and the, her face falling and the smile disappearing and and when you when you were, went to the shore with your parents that summer you and Tony were on the You splits. and Tony were on the outs. You and Tony were on the outs. Well, um well we started dating and well we slept together and she's like, "What?" But uh, where, where is it? Where is, where is I'm sorry. I need a microphone to drop. And she's just like, thud, drop. And the microphone dropped before it was actually called that. And uh, Carmel's just like, ah, ah, ah. She's like, you slept with my Tony? And Charmaine says, here it is. The, the line, the, uh, the, the, fu the best psych out ever. She just goes, yeah, it wasn't for me. I broke it off. And what I'm telling you here is you can stop worrying about me. We both made our choices, and I am fine with mine. Ooh, it's amazing. Bam. There's nothing you could say to Carmelo there that just that that fucks her over worse than that whole interaction. Yeah, it's awful. So then the next morning we get like I slept with your husband isn't enough, but then 
Yeah, I just wasn't into it afterwards. Yeah, like, listen, listen. I made a decision. Artie was a better choice than your husband, <laughs> is what she says. And they're never close again in the same way. So the next morning, we find uh, Tony and Silvio, or Tony finds Silvio and Titleman arguing over something. Oh, just real quick, I mm-hmm. do want to back up for one second. Yeah, on no this. worries. I think that is important here, we didn't talk about, is when Artie and Tony are having that fight in the kitchen. Oh, yeah. Carmela obviously knows how upset. Tony is about Jackie and all the other things, but she sits there and watches it and you see her kind of smile. Cause she, she knows she must understand how special that relationship is that they can be throwing stuff at him. Cause she stops and watches him for a and minutes, smiles you know? and doesn't get all guys. This is an event. She, yeah. she very much enjoys watching that. She I, knows how important that moment is probably for the both of them. Absolutely. So the next morning we find Tony finds Silvio entitlement arguing about something and and uh, and Titleman turns this whole thing around. He goes, well, you didn't really get him to sign the get. You threatened him with castration, and he came to me, and we made a deal. You want, He wanted 50. You said 25. He said 15. So now I'm going to make a deal with this guy instead because, you know, you didn't really do anything for me, and I've got some money to pay you for this situation. You'll be well compensated. Well compensated. And I'm guessing that he gave him probably like $25,000 or something like that, like that was originally talked about. And Tony doesn't deal with that well. He pulls, pushes the guy up against the wall and is like, listen, motherfucker, uh, listen, you don't uh, – he's like – He's like, uh, that's not the deal. I don't care. If you want to give the guy 15%, you can give him out of your end. We made a deal. I get 25% of your business. You got the get. It's the way, this is the way shit happens right now. And he pushes him up against the wall. The guy starts going, but the Talmud says, and he goes, I don't know what he, I don't care what he said. I don't give a shit what he says. <laughs> and, and, uh, ultimately this guy just starts freaking out on Tony and like, and, and goes, oh, you're my son was right. You are a golem. And Tony's like, what's a golem? And he goes, golem, a dead. It's a Frankenstein monster. You're a Frankenstein monster. And to, and the guy runs off kind of, it's almost comedic in a sense. The way he's running off can be played. If we're going, oh, yo, 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 oh, my God, oh, my God. And it's, it's very, very interesting. And, and okay, this is what we were talking about before. I don't want to spend too much time on this, Matt, but. I know Tony's going to be looked at as the villain in this situation, but really, uh, this guy tried to take advantage of a situation. It doesn't matter why the guy agreed to sign it. He agreed to sign it. That was the deal. And he agreed to the deal of the 25%. Tony has every right to be pissed off about the situation, and no one ever gets hurt. There are a lot of people that get shaken down by the mafia for protection. This guy came to them. Right. He absolutely went looking for this. They didn't come to him. They weren't trying to shake him down for anything. He went to them and asked them for it. And agreed to the number. And a lot of times in people's stories, the mafia mafia will say 10%. They'll be like, no, I want 50%. No, I want 100%. Tony laid out his terms clear. And when it comes down to it, the Soprano crew, for whatever we know of them, when they make a deal with you like that, they'll hold up their end of the bargain if you keep paying them. They don't care about that. If they had done the 25%, yeah, they would have probably done the thing where they brought the prostitution rings in there and done all that. And that was all part of their plan, which is a little like, like the sporting goods store. They like the sporting uh, goods. Yeah. They would have, they would have busted it out eventually. That would have been part of the plan. But again, like Matt just said, 
they asked for Tony. Tony didn't step in there. It's uh, the as Tony, I think it's the name of the episode later on when Tony's talking to Danny Scatino. He goes the scorpion and the uh, scorpion and the troll. No, what is the scorpion and the snake or something? Whatever it is, we'll talk about it when we get there. But that Tony just he goes, I know when to be there at the right situation. And yeah, I take advantage of a bad situation, but it's also these people's choices. And Titleman very much made his bed and they had a lay in it. So. This is a, kind of a sad scene. We see Tony visiting Apriu at the hospital, and he's trying to tell him about what happened. Polly's downstairs because he broke his ha- hand on the guy's head. And uh, Jack- we don't know at this point if Jackie's going to live or not the first time you watch it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, he could pull through it. I mean, Tony says he's the strongest guy in the world. You know, who the hell knows? And we get we get the feeling like we see Jackie's hair is starting to fall out a little bit. And he's he all- looks so much. He's got his glasses on. He can't read. He just looks so much older in this scene than he did. No, he was with the nurse the last time we saw him. Yep, and he has 102.7 temperature, and it's just a really, really sad scene, and Tony realizes his friend's close to death, and he he gets out of there. So here we go to our final scene in the episode where we get the most, we talked about this a bit at the beginning, we get the most mob boss Livia, or the final segment of the episode, the most mob boss Livia directly we ever see her. And we're at Green Grove. Junior's helping Livia get her room organized, hanging a picture. And he's talking about Brendan and Christopher and how he needs to light a fire under their asses and do all that sort of shit. So ultimately comes to the point where Livia's like, now Christopher, he's a good boy, Junior. He put up my storm windows one year. You know, Christopher never knows how lucky he is in this moment that he put up Livia's storm windows. It just saved his fucking life. And Tony always thought of him as a son, and I feel the same. Filoni boy? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. know. And I love how she does the the thing with her hands. I don't know. Oh, she says Christopher needs to be a talking to. You know what I mean, Junior. And, and... Junior walks right up to her and goes, you're a pretty, you have a lot of sense for a smart, get, for an old gal. And Livia says, I'm just a babbling idiot. That's why my son puts me in a nursing home. Whoa. And I think to connect to something we were talking about before, and you mentioned this earlier, Matt, about if Livia's faking it, I think this is also an element of something we were saying. Now that Livia's in a place where a lot of other people are taking care of those things that she just isn't, you know, she doesn't have the, uh, She's too egocentric to admit that it's actually helping her. And it's helping the real Livia be a little bit stronger. It's like when people first go into a place like this, once they settle in, they probably and they're they're happy to have rid of those things, even if they don't really know it. And now she's able to kind of focus her mind. And that's why we get Livia at these moments really influencing Junior and Livia kind of really stretching out because she doesn't have to worry about driving. She doesn't have to worry about cleaning her bed sheets, cleaning, you know, she, she's getting everything done for her. And as we find out later, she's actually the modern, the, the model uh, tenant when the soprano people aren't around. We find out later that she's going to events. She's going to bingo. She's going to, she's doing all those things. She's thriving there. Why do you think Junior goes to her though? I don't under, like for advice. Do you think it's probably, it's because it's his, his older brother's, <sighs> It, they connect that a little bit where they make jokes or make reference to is Junior attracted to Livia? I don't think he is. I think it's closer to what you're saying, Matt. I think I think that's a really good point. I think he, I think he it's his way of being closer to Johnny or getting Johnny's respect to showing Livia the respect that he feels like Johnny would want him to show to her. I think that's I think really that's what it comes down to. And maybe also just to get part of what you said is to get the opinion of someone who's of that generation of that generation that can understand where he's coming from and understand what would Johnny do in this situation. 
Yeah. Kind kind of give that kind of impression, but by it and then when she starts giving him advice that he uses and actually helps him out like this piece of advice he keeps going back to her <clears throat> which I'll yeah, Chris, who knows what happens if he kills Christopher right there like oh, that's oh shit's shit's over shit's over like he Tony kill, probably has to kill him when it comes down to it I think the Filoni thing makes sense and even that we'll see how that we'll see because I'm sort of blanking because Tony didn't like him either though that's the thing Tony couldn't stand Filoni yeah and he knew he, was, he knew he was a shit shit heel so Tony meets with Milfi and tells her that a Prio's uh, Prio talks about the situation of seeing Jackie that he like wasn't there just him and that fucking fucking cancer Tony feels like a Prio's already gone and she says yes now Tony tells Milfi that some or he changed the subject and some someone calls him a Frankenstein today he says that uh but he but he he thinks about those people and their beliefs. He says that they're not afraid of death. At least one that he dealt with weren't afraid of death. That the Hasidic Jews were weren't just that they have strong beliefs. And then uh, and Milfi goes, they have beliefs because uh, they are afraid. And Tony states that he isn't afraid of death if it's for something. He says that if he was dying for a war or for a reason, you'd be okay with it. But Aprio, being a strong, beautiful man, withered away into nothing. Just he doesn't understand the logic behind it. And Milfi notes that Tony seems to envy the Hasidic Jews and their beliefs. Tony states well, that this is all for nothing, but what if all this shit is for nothing and all these crying and everything is for nothing just to die? Why am I thinking about all this? And Milfi goes, and this is part of the mystery of life. Why we're given the questionable gift of it feel like suddenly we feel like we're in a Star Trek episode where we're getting the moral lesson <laughs> from Spock, where she's just like, this is where I mean where some of these things I don't think David Chase because we get Milfi spelling things like out this later but it's very much more direct and much more like she's talking to someone she knows in the mafia it gets very philosophical here and very like overtly philosophical where she's like where she goes it's the mystery of life and why we're given the questionable gift of the knowledge that we're going to die it's just very like very star trek and i can't say it in a better way so Milfi says, Tony, do you feel like a Frankenstein, lacking humanity and human feelings? And Tony stares at Milfi with a look in his face to indicate that he does, which is also very interesting to our connect, connecting point of this our godfather ending here, which is very Michael Corleone, where some people would argue what Michael does in this coming moment is very unemotional. So later that night, we get the co the chorus song of All Through the Night of Meadow, Meadow and I, 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 it's fair to point out that we see Meadow and Hunter on stage tweaking out on Christmas. Oh yeah, totally tweaking out, doing that and doing the doing the hands thing. Total tweakers. Yeah. They they look like Skinny Pete and Badger would be proud to hang out with yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. Moment. I'm glad I remember those names. So so Car he sits down next to Carmel and she won't hold his hand. Then we get Christopher buying an ice cream truck, buying an ice cream from a truck, being a nice guy, showing Christopher is a good guy to people, giving the guy a big tip. You know, Christopher's playing up the mafioso routine. And he gets grabbed by two Russian guys that bring him out to the pier and put him at gunpoint. And Christopher goes into goes into uh, thinking that these are people that are that Tony has found out that he gave Meadow Crystal and that these are from Tony's uh, Gumar's friends of Tony's Gumar people we actually get to see later to, just to do just to show you how well the Sopranos connect things like this we actually do meet those people they're the people that rough up Jan yeah. Janice later on so uh, but no they ultimately. Uh, well, let's take this in a few parts instead of talking about it back and forth. Ultimately, they just give him a message where they f fake execute him. They put a gun to his head and with him crying the whole time, well played by Michael Imp Imperoli. Uh, this is some of Christopher's 
Christopher, when he's playing this, uh, when he's playing begging Christopher, he does it really well. Oh, please, please, please. Like, really convincing. And he gets those big, his, the way his eyes look when he's crying. Like, he cries really well, too. And they just, he just plays this up really well. And they ultimately give him the fake gunshot, like an empty chamber. And he sh- he shits his pants. They just go, oh, doo-doo, ah, Smitty. And at the co- at the concert, we see Meadow and Hunter tweaking out a bit and uh, Tony being really emotionally affected by the music and Carmela not holding his hand when he sits down because she's pissed off about the Artie Bucco stuff, I mean, about the Charmaine Bucco stuff. That, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, that totally makes sense, though. But she doesn't bring it up until much later. I want to say she doesn't bring it up until, like way later in the series where she get where she yells at him where he's like why are you even upset and she goes Charmaine Bucco and she he's like what and, it, <laughs> and I want to say it's in like season four or something like that like I want to say she holds Beach house time period yeah I want to say she holds on to this for a long time I I could be I could be wrong about that well we'll have to see since we're uh since we got 83 more of these to go oh, so dear God. <laughs> I know it's saying it that way so and then at the last part of the episode it's two years is what the problem is <laughs> the yeah. last part of the episode is Filoni in his bathtub and and uh Mikey comes in there and 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 points the gun at him and goes hi Jack bye Jack and shoots him in the head Mo Green style and Junior is in the room all through the night and kind of almost with a and again this is one of those moments we talked about this earlier Junior not very Junior in this moment almost seems and threat to say it a better way seems turned on by what's going on. Like, yeah, I just gets this look on his face. Like, yep, this has to happen and walks out of there. And that's basically the end of our episode of the Sopranos uh, season three, episode three. We've got a couple of more things to go before we call it a night. We're running a little long today. Um, we we got some good quotes in the episode. And I kind of already talked about the the fun facts of this particular episode. There wasn't any uh, alternate script, so we didn't have any of those things. And I want to write this down right now, Matt, before we end, because I want to I want to legitimately do this. Rank each season. Well, I don't want to rank all 86 ep- episodes individually where we're playing the, this one moves to two, this one moves to whatever. So let's try to play the shell game as little as we can. I would say the best one I've seen so far is 46 long. Then, yep. I, li- then I like the pilot. And then I liked uh, episode three. You would say the same, except you'd switch the pilot in three? Probably, yeah. Okay. So 46, uh, 3, 1 1 for you, Matt. Okay. So I want to keep track of that. And then by the end, we'll do like the last, you know, our last podcast of everything. Because I think we'll probably, uh, in general, be able to agree with what our favorite episodes of the season are. But we'll we'll keep an eye on that as we go. I just, it'll be cool to keep track of that information as well. So everybody, we would like to say we're really sorry about the technical difficulty on the YouTube stream and that you guys didn't get to look at our pretty faces this time. Yeah, you're not missing much though. It looks like it is actually streaming again right now. Oh, it is? It's probably gone in. And the thing the funny thing about all of this is I don't know for a fact the recording might be there. It might have recorded all of this and just screwed up the streaming. So all of this might have been on. So I'm glad I didn't decide to get naked on, on the camera or anything like that. So oh, got- yeah, it's showing us talking right now, so I don't know where it is. But. Okay, interesting. So everybody, so and yeah, we actually have people watching right now. People, people have returned. Welcome back. So guys, thank you so much for checking out this Sopranos recap. We will be back next week, maybe earlier. Matt and I got to talk about it because it is a holiday, so or possibly not next week. It's Veterans Day. I don't know if you have Veterans Day off from school. 
I, I do, but I'm going to a Grateful Dead concert. The okay, so we'll be back. We'll be back in two weeks to talk no, about. No, maybe next week. I'm going the night before. I may need something. This may be my. It's my recovery day on Wednesday. Okay, so. we'll, I'll keep you posted and post the event. So, everybody, if we're, we'd be back next week or the week after to talk about episode four of The Sopranos. Uh, if you want to check out any of our stuff, issuesprogram.com. Please subscribe. Please, please like the video if you haven't already. Uh, share your comments and thoughts. Uh, 781-990-8509. Email me at igotissuesman at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at igotissuesman. Follow Matt on Google Plus at Big Daddy Matt. And... Guys, we'll be back next time. Have a good week, Matt. You too. Talk to you soon.